and a Happy New Year to those of you who are uh, showing up for the first time or early in the year. Uh, great to have post-holiday swelling of numbers. Wonderful. And uh, also, just to let you know that this is sermon number nine in a series that's been going about one a month since we started in, I don't know, April, May last year. And uh, so if you've uh, not heard one or one to eight, you might like to jump on our website and see. One of the things I deliberately did was started with the less controversial gifts. I wanted us to get into a mentality of understanding what the gifts are about before we get into the ones that often cause a bit more difficulty. So the last one I preached on some weeks back was on uh, tongues and prophecy. And uh, again, on the website, you might want to listen. But uh, we're jumping in now to the uh, two gifts, and I've, I've kind of bunched a couple together because the, the issues around them are similar. And so we're looking at healing and powers. Let me pray, and then we'll uh, look at the passage and the, uh, the concepts. Gracious Father, help us to understand your word, particularly when uh, we're looking at a more controversial topic like this. Help us to know what you say. Uh, help us to be able to discern your voice amongst sometimes many voices and perhaps even our own voices so that when we hear you, we would believe, we would put into practice what you say, we would understand, it would become part of our mental framework. We ask this, Father, for these words so that we would um, be your people, uh, truly your people. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Now, if I just asked you a question... Um, what movie comes to mind when you hear the term miraculous powers? Harry Potter? Did I, did I, did I, did, did between when I said it, asked the question and gave the answer, had you thought of anything else? Uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, okay, Superman, that would do. Now, it's so important for us to get the point here that the Bible does not use the word miracle. Or miraculous. Now, you'll have actually, if you were paying close attention, you'll have seen the word. But I want to let you know that in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, in the Hebrew and the Greek, there's no such word for miracle. And the word has been popped in in a whole lot of places. I checked lots of translations. It's in lots of the translations. I even checked some foreign languages, some French and some Italian and uh, Spanish, and they pop the word miracle in as well. I think the reason they do that is to help people when they see something that is amazing like um, the classic is where Jesus turns water into wine. And in the original, we'll look at this, uh, make reference to it later, but uh, in the original it says, this was the first sign that Jesus did. And lots of the translations, not quite all of them, but lots of them say, this was the first miraculous sign. Just in case you didn't get the point. Just in case... The story, if you remember how it goes, there's all this water there and they run out of wine at the wedding and Jesus says to the guys, oh, now scoop out of those ones and then they scoop out and it's turned to wine. It's pretty obvious something amazing has happened. So in case you missed it, by the end of the story, the English translators and, as I say, some others have popped in the idea this was the first miraculous sign. But the word is actually not there. It's just the first sign. And in every occurrence of the word miracle in your English Bible... There's not actually the word miracle in the original text. Uh, same where it talked about the miraculous powers. Uh, the word miracle isn't there. The word is actually deeds of power or works of power. And I say this right at the start because I think it'll help us to get our biblical understanding much clearer. And I think it'll help us to avoid a whole lot of unhelpful ideas if we start with that. Now, 
I was going to start this sermon by saying that there are no miracles in the Bible, but I've learnt my lesson. Being controversial right at the start just upsets everybody. And um, I preached this sermon once, a little diversion. I preached this sermon once where I really wanted to emphasize in, in the concept of prayer that the issue is not how hard we pray, but how good God is to answer. And so I had this little theme running through my sermon that prayer doesn't work, God does. Isn't that clever? I mean, doesn't doesn't that, I can see some of you are really worried about me already. The point was that God answers our prayer. Anyway, I I preached this sermon, I thought I got away with it pretty well. People are like, oh, that's really helpful, Stuart. You know, yeah, yeah, it's it's not about us, it's about God. And this one lady looked at me in in utter disbelief. Stuart, I thought you would believe in prayer. Oh, no, that didn't work, did it? Anyway, so um, I'm not going to say that there are no miracles in the Bible. I'm just going to say that the word miracle isn't in the Bible, at least not in the original texts. And the reason I want to make that point is because I think the word miracle actually mucks us up. It makes us think of Harry Potter and a whole lot of other unhelpful things rather than actually looking at what the Bible says. So when we come to this issue of healing and deeds of power or works of power, I think it's helpful for us to be asking the question, what is the Bible's concept behind that? And I think that that will actually free us up not to get caught up in the word miracle, miraculous powers, that sort of thing. The word miracle is not in the original writings. Is that all right? Oh, good. You're with me. Okay. What are the Bible words then? Well, there are lots of them, but there are three clusters. The first one is the word signs. The next one is the word wonders. And then the third one is the word powers. There there would be other words and other things we could use. But they're the Bible terms. The problem with the word miracle uh, that that is in so many of our translations. (coughs) Now, at one level, it's okay. You know, miraculous things happen. You know, that just sort of goes, oh, okay, there's something sort of amazing going on or something unusual going on. If that's all people had in their mind when they heard the word miracle, I wouldn't be bothered. But I don't think that's what people have in their mind often when they hear the word miracle. I think there's a whole lot of different ideas that come into people's minds when they hear miraculous powers or that was a miracle. And I want to avoid some of those unhelpful negative things. Mostly if you ask somebody, what is a miracle? they'll say something like, oh, that's when the laws of nature are broken by God and he alters or he goes against the laws of nature. You see? Now, that is just such a bizarre kind of thing when you think biblically. It just makes no sense in Bible terms at all to say that there are these laws of nature that God breaks and that's a miracle. And it's very hard when you use the word miracle not to end up in that sort of way of thinking. And that's why I want to try and get rid of the language altogether and help us realize that that's not what the Bible is trying to say. The Bible thinks quite differently about the world and about God's creation and God's interaction with the world than the way that the word miracle has been used and is often used, not always. The other thing that happens when we use the word miracles, you know, that person, it's a miraculous healing. Look at that. They're in hospital and people prayed for them and the person got better. It's a miracle. Then what happens is the skeptic sits back and goes, oh, coincidence happened. Spontaneous remission of cancer symptoms happen all the time, you know? Well, not all the time, but often enough. And people enter into those sorts of conversations then. Or they'll say, you know, statistically, this sort of stuff's just going to happen. Weird, yeah, sure, unusual, sure, but miracle? Ah, we don't need that. Or they'll say when they hear the word miracle, (coughs) oh, I can think of other explanations. 
a more naturalistic explanation. I don't have to have God in your story. And I think the word miracle is the problem. And that's why I want us to notice that the Bible doesn't actually use the word and it doesn't think in those terms. The statistical norms, the likelihood of a thing happening, the natural law being broken by God doing something. How weird is that, you know? So all that language, I just want to park over there and say it actually doesn't belong to Bible thinking. It actually grew up about 300 years ago uh, with people who were trying to explain a God who was not intimately involved in the world, the Bible God. They had the idea that God was far off up in the skies. A deism was the technical term. A deistic view of God is that he's the great clockmaker. See, 300 years ago, clocks were pretty amazing. You know, you wind them up and set the thing going. Well, that was the view of God in this deistic view. God, well, yeah, he created, but he set in place all the natural laws. And then the thing just spins along. God far distant, the world on its own. Left to the scientists to work out. Do you see how this ties together with what was happening 300 years ago in the world of philosophy and science? And so if the miracle is to happen, that means God has somehow intervened. Oh, goodness, that can't be true. Because he's off there, he's made the, the watch, and he's started it up. And why would he do that? Therefore, miracles can't happen. You see how that sort of runs down that path? And the word miracle, I think, is bound up with that view of God. How incredibly different is the view of God in the Scriptures? From the very start, God is not just setting the watch going. God is the personal one who relates to the world at every level. At the level of the tiniest subatomic particle, or what's even littler than that, to the great heavens. God is intimately involved in all that. Therefore in your life, therefore in mine, therefore in the whole sweep of history. That's the Bible God. He's not the God who leaves the world to its own devices. He's the God who grieves over it. One of the great things about the series Dave's been working through, the, the epic history of the whole Bible, is it comes out with that theme again and again. It's been greatly serving us to, uh, to go against that idea that God is one who is so remote, so far off. And I think that belongs to that language of miracle. But when you look at the scriptures, it's a different God. So what does the Bible get at with these three words, particularly that we're going to think about? Signs. Signs point to things, don't they? That's the obvious thing to say about a sign. A sign actually points to things. And uh, you might see signs as you drive. How could you not? Every 10 metres there's another sign, isn't there? Telling you to slow down, speed up. Be careful on particular days. How on earth do you know when it's school holidays? How do you remember that, oh, this school's got a holiday? You know, who keeps up with Blacksland Primary School school holiday days? As opposed to Winmalees, which happen to be different sometimes. In the private schools, I've got no clue. So we see signs all over the place. And the thing is, signs point to things. We were traveling recently and we followed many signs. We went to Berry for a holiday and we saw the sign that said, to Berry. So we went there. Signs point to things. Have I been bleeding obvious about this? What do the signs in the Bible point to? Now, the first time this idea comes up is particularly with uh, Moses in, in the days when they were, the people of Israel were trapped in Egypt and they were slaves there. And God allowed signs and wonders. It's actually two angles on the same thing. 
A wonder is got, has got the other side of things. That's the way people react, relate to. It's when the divine comes near, the creature goes, oh my goodness, that's a wonder. You ever done that? Go, oh, oh, look at that. That's a wonder. That's the signs point to God. Wonders are what happens when we encounter them, when they come to us. So signs and wonders back in Moses' day. And they were the things that were to teach the Pharaoh and to give confidence to the people. And to, in many ways, too, at the start of those signs and wonders, to allow Moses and his brother Aaron to actually go through with the uh, amazing program of confronting the Pharaoh. And then the ultimate sign was the day of the uh, salvation of Israel, when the Passover happened, when the Spirit of God passed over the people. And there was death in those camps, but not in this camp. Incredible signs, don't you think? And if you were there, what would you do? You'd go, oh, 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 look at that. You'd have been wondered. That's the only thing you could say. I'm amazed. I'm staggered. Look at that. That is incredible. How could that be? That's a sign. That's a wonder. Two perspectives on the same thing. They reveal what God is doing, particularly in the redemption of people. That's a sign and a wonder. Now, the, uh, the um, one I referenced earlier was in uh, John chapter 2, where Jesus does the first of his signs. And it's a curious sign. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sign in the context of a festivity. It's almost a, a polite, delicate sign where the groom has the, the, at the party has run out of wine. Major embarrassment. Uh, I've hosted two brides' weddings, my two daughters' weddings. And, you know, if we had run out of fizzy drink or bottles of wine or champagne to toast with, that would have been, you know, a pretty awkward moment. Really, it didn't happen. You know, we didn't need a sign. Didn't need any wonders. It was all good. We'd paid for it. So, but major social embarrassment. And that's the place and timing of Jesus' first sign. And you look at it and you go, water to wine? What on earth is that about? And yet as you read then through John's gospel, you see that that is in so many ways a symbol of what Jesus is doing. He's making the ordinary extraordinary. He's making the natural divine. He's, he's, he's before people's eyes, transforming things, transfiguring things, making them extraordinarily different. Right there in the midst of life. Uh, that's the first sign. Did we need the word miracle there? I don't think so. That's the first sign. Uh, wonders you see through Luke's gospel. Luke is the, a gospel where you see again and again the wonder of what God has done. And the reaction of people. It's, it's like when the angels come and declare right at the start of the gospel that Jesus is to be born. And the shepherds are there. You know, they're on the fields. And there's angels singing. Ah, ah, ah. Wonder, amazed, staggered, my goodness, gracious me, and what do they do? They rush off to where they've heard the babies to be born and they tell everybody, what's the reaction of the people? They're all amazed. That's a wonder. You see it again and again in the Gospels. When God intervenes, people are amazed. And then the third thing is powers. And what we'll see uh, as we go on is particularly that the powers are over evil. 
God has power over evil. That's a great thing to know. We'll explore more tonight. But just as an intro, that God has power over evil is such a comfort to us. Such a comfort. So they're the Bible words. They don't use the word miracle. Right away, we get the sense of an intimate God intimately involved with your life and my life, with the history of the world, with every place. And there are signs. He points to his activity. There are wonders. When God shows up, people are amazed. And there is genuine power over evil. Well, that's my long introduction, friends, and I just want us to set us up in this biblical way of thinking. Let's now think about the gift of healing in that context. Gifts of healing and of power. I want to try and despookify. Is that a word? I think I made it up, both at the front and the end. Despookify these gifts. Um, there are so many errors around these gifts, and so it's important for us to kind of clear the mind a little and say, okay, what's there in the Bible? And I'm not going to have a very satisfactory answer for all of you, I'm sure. Um, by the end of tonight, but you know, let's have a look at some of the scriptures and start our thinking or progress our thinking a little further. The gift of healing. The gift of healing, the first thing to understand is it's part of the gift of prayer. It, it's a prayer concept. Because what is happening? You know, last uh, time I preached, we were looking at tongues, and tongues was a subset of prayer where you praise God or where you long for God's kingdom to come. I, I think that's a big part of the, the gift of tongues. This is about prayer of intercession. There's a sick person. I pray for that sick person. Dear God, please make that person better. That's what, what's happening in the gift of healing. And particularly when that happens and that person gets well, when they improve, you, you start noticing that bunches up around some people. I think that's the idea of the gift of healing. And so while all of us are to be praying, praying for healing, all of us should bring all our concerns to God, then th this is where it kind of bunches up around some people. I haven't seen this lots. I've seen a little. But I think that's what we're talking about. Just like most of the other gifts is a person who's a good teacher will, after you see them teach well again and again, you say, you know, they've got the gift of teaching. I think it's in the same category. Um, now, this particular gift follows all the usual rules of prayer. God answers them according to his will. That's the basic rule of prayer, isn't it? Um, we don't get to tell God what to do. I remember telling God what to do once. I'm so embarrassed. Let me tell you my embarrassing story. I moved new into a church, and I was the pastor of the church. This, is, this isn't even in a different state, so um, I'm somehow covered. And it was a long time ago. And, you know, I just thought I ought to name it and claim it. You know, have you heard that term? Name it and claim it. And um, I thought, right, God, um, we want to expand our church. We had a little church meeting in a school hall, about 30 people. And there was this block of land that we thought would be just great. So I, I just every time I drove past that block of land, I claimed it. And after about, a, oh, I don't know, a few weeks or a month, I realized I'd actually been really rude. And I was talking to God like when my children talk to me like that, I'd tell them off, you know, like, no, you're not to talk to me like that. That's actually rude to talk to your father that way. So I realized naming and claiming was, I guess you could do it in a helpful way. But I guess you could also do it in a bad way. I did it in a bad way. I repented. And that's my story. Prayer to our Father has certain rules about it. And so as we think about the gift of healing, which is to pray for people who are sick, and God graciously hears our prayer and sometimes answers it, 
in the way we want and sometimes answers it in the way we don't want, that's the rule of prayer. So too, healing functions the same way. God answers them according to his will. The other thing that I was reflecting on this is, you know, when we went back, uh, I don't know, gift sermon number four or five was on evangelism. One of the things that I noticed when I uh, headed up a society of evangelists many years ago was that God kept putting people who wanted to hear the gospel and needed to hear the gospel and were ready to hear the gospel next to evangelists. You know, they were the ones that would sit on a bus and people would sit down and go, I've had the worst day of my life. I wish there was a God would answer my prayer. Now, that never happened to me, but it happened to all these evangelists. And they were the ones that constantly God was engineering the world going before, a little like Jacqueline was saying in the introduction, God was going before and bringing the people alongside those whom he had gifted to share the gospel at that moment. Seems to me that's probably the sort of thing he does with prayer and prayers of healing. That God will keep bringing alongside certain people those he intends to heal. That kind of makes sense for God, wouldn't it? And so I think that's how it happens, that some people just end up praying more and seeing more people healed than other people who pray. Because that's just how God arranges the world. I remember once I was asked to pray. We had this woman in our church, wonderful Christian conversion, and uh, not in my time in ministry, but uh, grew a lot and was uh, uh, in her faith. And she got cancer, you know, early 50s. Wonderful, vibrant lady and got cancer and over about a, a two-year period she moved from the diagnosis up and down as it often goes and died but at an earlier stage where she had her first operation she asked me to pray that she would be able to pass wind okay now i don't know if you've ever been asked to pray that as a prayer of healing but um uh the lord answered that prayer okay i mean i got one of those Apparently that was a good sign for healing. <laughs> um, once or twice other times people have been healed as well. But uh, there we have the story. Um, the other thing to notice is that I've seen is often the gift of mercy and the gift of healing go together. That would make sense in God's plan, wouldn't it? That the person who actually cares about people will end up praying for them to be healed and... God would kind of do that in the same people? I guess not always. But that's worth noticing as well. That it's the people who actually care enough to be there and to pray that God will hear and will answer. Very important for us at this point to notice it's not magic. We've got to keep distinguishing how prayer functions from how magic functions. Magic functions by manipulating the the kind of buzzing around the force, you know, the, the, the powers out there and drawing those powers down into some object, some chant or some, some uh, 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 special uh, tool or, or item we might have. That we, we will somehow, by saying the special words, we will get this power. Impersonal, you see. It's just out there. And so it'll come to this and then when I say those magic words, then it will happen. That's magic, that's not prayer, and that's not the gift of healing in the Bible because God is personally involved in his creation. The incantation method is impersonal. You know someone who's sick? Pray to your Father in heaven that he would raise them up. You might like to look at those last, uh, last chapter of James. There's some helpful comments there 
about praying for those who are sick. Now, um, let me just say that this is a wonderful gift to the church because sickness is one of the great effects of sin, one of the great impacts in this world that points to the fact that it is bent and wrong and is to be redeemed is that there is sickness in the world. Ultimately, death too, of course, is the great indicator of that. But what a wonderful thing God has done to make some people prayers and to make some people pray for healing and for God to answer those prayers in kind of clusters, people with the gift of healing, we would say. Seems to me too that this particular gift is needed and seems to occur more often when churches are on the cutting edge of church planting, moving into new areas. When churches are in maintenance mode, I don't think you see this so much. Where churches are taking new ground, as it were, uh, presenting the gospel for the first time in a place, you often see more answers to prayer. I, I've been very fortunate to hear of stories um, linked with a Bible college that um, my organization supports in North India, in Allahabad, Allahabad Bible Seminary. And uh, the Allahabad Bible Seminary is doing, just as part of the way their um, training of their students works, they go out and plant churches. Uh, they're not allowed to in the city because it's a really strong uh, Hindu area and they get, would be persecuted violently if they did that. So they go out into the villages nearby and they bring the gospel. And they bring the gospel um, by telling stories to the kids, by um, caring for the people. These are, these are typically outcast people whose lives are, you know, these are the kind of dollar a day lifestyle kind of people who have nearly no opportunity for progressing themselves they're just the caste system suppresses them in that sort of way and um, the students go out and they they will gather the children and they'll teach them actually one of the things i remember the story is that they would um they would bring soap and they would wash the children now you know in our context i go oh my goodness what about child safety and all that sort of stuff but at the end of them washing the children and bringing them clothes secondhand clothes as a gift and then teaching the kids little songs, the parents would come out in tears and say, you are the first person to ever touch my child in any way. Outcasts, untouchables, literally, could not be touched. No one would want to touch them. But an extraordinary show of Christian love. And of course they, they pray and of course they share the gospel. And their prayers are of healing and they occasionally hear of people being healed. And then they would, within the first few weeks, they would say, well, you, know, you can just do this as well. So people would then come back the next week and they'd say, oh, we, we had one of our members was sick. Really? What happened? They were healed. Really? Can you show me? Yeah, it's that cow over there. And they'd pray for their cow who's sick. And the cow would get better. And they'd say, praise the Lord. And then they'd say, so tell me more about Jesus. Now, it seems to me that this gift has a particular place in church planting movements. The... Um, uh, not exclusively, but that becomes a more important thing, that, that God would make use of his answering prayer in that sort of way. And who knows, there may be some particular relevance for our church as we seek to do church planting. There is a, a shadow side. Every gift has a sh shadow side. The idea that everybody should do it, it's every gift, isn't it? You know, oh, I can do it. Why can't you do it? Why can't you be there? Why can't you be merciful and pray and see God answer prayer? Well, because God is the one answering the prayer. And sometimes when you pray, God will answer in the way you want. But you see, if you have a mechanical view also of how prayer works and how healing works, 
if you have faith, then you will be healed. That is a real problem. Now, do you need faith? Yes. But the link, you're not healed, therefore you mustn't have faith. Oh, there's something wrong with your faith. That is such a mess to be avoided. I remember seeing this extraordinary video. Uh, it was a, a series by a guy called David Watson, a church uh, leader in the UK in the 1980s. Uh, he himself died of cancer, um, interestingly. He was one of the uh, leaders of the charismatic movement in the UK. Wrote a book called I Believe in Evangelism, which got a lot of press, a lot of reading, and people still read today. Uh, but wrote lots of books on church growth and planning churches and that sort of thing. He did this interview once, and he had this guy, and he was talking to him about his um, desire for healing. The man had cancer. It was clearly you know, a young, vibrant man, really involved in ministry. And David Watson was asking this guy questions. And he said, now, so far you've not been healed. He said, that's right. I've been for treatment and we've been praying and the church has been around. They've laid hands on me. I've confessed whatever sins. And he talked about all the things that he'd done that he felt was appropriate. And he said, now, also in, in another nearby church, there's a woman in almost identical situation to you. And they did almost identical things, and she has been healed. It seems complete remission of cancer and everything. Same age, same everything. Why do you think that is, he said. What an extraordinary question to ask this guy who has not been healed. His answer, I think God is trying to teach me and my church different things from what he's trying to teach her and her church. That, that was so helpful for me. That was such a blow-away, amazing way to think about things. And the guy went on and said, you know, God may yet heal me. But he's teaching us. Uh, the postscript of the uh, video was that he had died about six months later. God does what he does. And linking what was clearly this young man of incredible faith, to say that, well, you haven't got enough faith, would be just such a travesty and such a strange way to think about God's actions in the world. We cannot have this mechanical view of faith and healing. Uh, another part of the shadow side is an independent power, the idea that's mine. I can do it. I can just walk through the, the place and heal and heal. It's me. Look at me. That, that's a real danger because we so crave those kinds of things. Okay, let me jump on to the gift of deeds of power. What's in our Bibles often called miraculous powers. Deeds of power, works of power. The language of power is always bound up with God overcoming evil. Not always, but very often come up with this language of overcoming evil. So we see it in Jesus' ministry. Uh, just the other day, I had a little time to spare, and I read through the first several chapters of Mark's gospel. Great thing to do, just one big chunk. You know what comes through? Jesus heals the sick, he casts out demons, he teaches the people. It just comes up again and again and again. And healing and power over evil is a big part of Jesus' ministry. Jesus uses this uh, amazing little picture in, in the next passage, in um, Mark 3. Let me just read it to you. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He, Jesus, is possessed by Beelzebul, in other words, the devil. By the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? See, that's what Jesus has been doing. He's been driving Satan out. He's demonic people. He's been uh, healing the demonic people. Uh, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. 
In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house. That's Satan's house. There's the person. Satan's in him. That's the metaphor. It's a strong man's house. No one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. This is our binding Satan language, you see. Tie up Satan. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. What a violent metaphor for something beautiful. What does it mean? It means when, when Jesus comes, he binds up Satan and plunders, in other words, transforms into something beautiful the person's life you see that when jesus heals the demonic people all of a sudden they've been crazed out in the tombs you know that story and then at the end of it they're sitting quietly they're quiet. they go from crazed to quietly and enthusiastic about life amazing stuff so that's the concept of jesus and his power we see it in the apostles ministry if you read through the book of acts You see that again, evil is real, the demonic is real, and Christ's power overcomes it. You see also, I think it's important to notice in Paul's writings, the powers, that phrase, the powers that Christ through the cross has overcome. These are all parts of the background to this idea. Now, I don't think we actually see a lot of the demonic in our culture and time. We we might appear if we poke around. I think the reason we don't is because we're so blessed by the gospel having infiltrated our culture for centuries. I, I, think, I think that's the net effect. That's, that's the positive side of it. Um, the other thing is I think we've, we've got used to, we've habituated to a cleansed culture. The other thing though is we've, we've also capitulated to a secular culture. When we even do see evil, we won't name it as evil. And so I think those two things are happening and so we don't see it so much. I think uh, in Western society, we're going to have more evil, more evident. As, as our culture drifts away from the gospel moorings that it's had, a fairly natural thing, I think, in biblical terms, natural, for us to see more evil, for us to see more demonic activity. We ought to expect this in people who have come from other cultures. Uh, if you travel in other cultures, and don't just look at the fairy floss part of the culture, but actually dig down deep, the evil which is in most other cultures, through the religious perspective, uh, is, is quite significant. We ought to expect that. And for those people who are doing ministry amongst uh, Muslim people, amongst Buddhist people, amongst Hindu people, amongst animists, obviously, who are all about the spirit world, then we ought to expect that we ought to be, uh, we ought to be praying for them for protection, and for wisdom in these areas. Um, We need to get better in the West. The other thing I'll just say, bring it right home to the mountains, I expect that we'll see more of that in the upper mountains than we will in the lower mountains. You've seen the ads for the witches' covens in in the paper, in the local paper? They're there, and there are more of them up the top of the mountain than there are at the bottom of the mountain. One of the things we ought to do is praying for Michael and for his new church plant. We ought to be praying against evil And we ought to pray for some wisdom to comprehend what this means for ministry, church planting in the upper mountains. I want to de-spookify it, but I also want to be real about it. I want us to be praying about it. I'm not sure what that'll all mean in the months and years ahead. I'm no expert in any of this area. I'm just trying to read the scriptures and see what's happening in our culture here. Okay, there's another little thing when we think about power, and that is we ought to take, uh, filter it through the biblical idea that there is uh, power in weakness. We never get away from this biblical idea that Christ came to earth, that the cross is the means of salvation. 
But the Apostle Paul said that it is in weakness he is strong. I haven't got time to de deliver, uh, develop that theory uh, or, or theme more, but uh, I hope it resonates with something for you. Okay, shadow side. Deeds of power, the shadow side. Um, like all these um, shadow sides, the idea that everybody should do it. You know, normal Christian living is driving out demons. Well, no, that's, that's not how it is. The whole point is that each gift functions differently from the others. We're all contributing to the body. We're all contributing to the common good. But you can't take one gift, just like the evangelist. You can't say everybody ought to be an evangelist. Well, that's not how the Bible talks. You can't say everybody ought to have the gift of healing. You can't say everybody ought to have the gift of, of being able to um, cast out demons. It just doesn't make sense biblically. We ought to acknowledge and understand the way the body functions. Uh, sometimes you see people uh, make this case and they'll appeal to the apostles' example. Look at the apostles. I go, yeah, that was the apostles. That's not everybody was doing that. Those amazing things the apostles did, pretty uh, unique church planting moment that God was giving them that power. I, I like the story too. It doesn't happen again and again, but the one after Ananias and Sapphira, when they're, they're cut down, they die. You know, all the Christians get scared. <laughs> the apostles have had this moment of judgment of God, and what are we told about the others? Not that they went and did the same thing. No, no, no. They were all scared. They were amazed, wonder at what God had done. Um, another part of the shadow side of the deeds of power is these things look pretty impressive. Um, it, we're not talking about you know shifting the north and south end of the Harbour Bridge. You know that'd be a miraculous thing, wouldn't it? Wow, you could do that with CGI. It'd be hard to do any other way. We're not talking about those kind of wild and wacky things. We're focused on power over evil. And I think what can happen is people can accumulate fame to themselves. How against everything we've been looking at in how gifts function. The power is not intrinsic to the person. It's a thing that God gives. It's just like everything. Um, the other thing that can happen is that this gift can be mistaken for the gift of teaching. People think, look, I can do this. I must be able to teach the word of God. Sometimes I guess they can. But those two things are not the same. Just because somebody's given somebody a, a, a particular gift doesn't mean that they get to interpret all the scriptures through that gift. Worth being careful of. Okay, let me quickly finish. Though I've not seen either of these gifts much, reading my Bible tells me that the church needs these gifts. We need to see these things. I don't know how that will work out in our fellowship here. It'd be an interesting conversation for us to have. And perhaps as we in welcome more people in, God may raise up people with these gifts. We'll need to be very careful about that. There are so many excesses and problems and difficulties, muddle-headedness and foolishness associated with the more amazing things, the wonders. But we ought to be open to it, I think. Um, and I want to encourage you, if you find God answering your prayers, please pray more. <laughs> if you find God answering your prayers of healing, please pray more. Keep finding those people who need healing and pray, pray more. And if you um, do encounter people who uh, have evil within them and you find by praying that they are transformed, transfigured like Christ did to people, please keep doing that. They, they need it. They need it. And though there's all this kind of silly stuff going on around there, when you meet people who are caught up in evil, they need to be released from that and who else but God's people will do it 
Now, if you find that, uh, and I don't know that we would name anybody in this fellowship that have the gift of healing, maybe there's someone, or the gift of power over evil. But if there is such a person, uh, we won't put you on a pedestal. Uh, that's what the world would do. That's what a, you know, a wacky view of things would do. We won't do that. But, you know, like with every other gift, we will applaud. We will look at it and say, that person is using their gift for the good of the body. And like with every gift, we will applaud. God's gifted ones are such a gift to his people. I've been told I'm not to pray. We're going to pray after questions. I'm going to take some questions. Oh, good, no questions. Can you come up now, Warwick? And... Oh, darn, you always have a question. Yeah, they're good ones, though. Yeah, I don't know. Dave might preach on that another time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, the elders of the church, um, I think within the structure of our church, are those um, who are taking a leadership role, who are regularly teaching. But they're the elders, and there's probably half a dozen or eight of us. Yeah. And um, uh, anointing with oil. I don't know, that's, that's, an, that's a curious little phrase. It seems to me that that was the symbol that they've picked up from the Old Testament, that it's, it's a symbolic enactment of prayer. Seems to me that that's what it is. And it, it becomes a moment, you know, there's nothing magical in a bit of oil. Um, clearly, the, the Bible is so against the, the, that magic concept. But it becomes a moment. Um, like we baptise people in water, uh, you, you would pray and put oil. You don't see that much. I think the key is prayer. Um, if people would request that, then you know, I think that's an appropriate expression of how to take prayer seriously. Interesting in that passage too is the, the psychological impact of sin and its, and its effect in people's lives, that you ought to confess your sins because many, many physical illnesses are related to some sinful thought behaviour. Um, not everyone, clearly, but, but certainly that's, that's part of the process. And it's a personal relationship, pastoral care thing. Mm. Yeah, and we haven't formalised it here. And I think that's part of, um, part of the joy and messiness of SOMA. Yeah. Um, sure. Sure. Yeah, sure. Oh, well, we could address that more. Maybe Dave will address it sometime. Any other questions? Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. You know, in your area as a research scientist, in these very areas, you know, these kinds of concepts have a lot more um, immediate uh, significance. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Wendy. No, no, thanks. Good question. I think um, part of what I'm hoping this series, the reason for drip feeding it a sermon every month is so that we will just, as a fellowship, lift our perspective on this whole thing and that we'll constantly be just revisiting the question, what gifts do I have? Am I using them properly? Am I encouraging others with their gift? Am I training up others? You know, if I've got hospitality, am I bringing up the younger ones or encouraging people who've got that gift but it's not fanned into flame, you know, to encourage them along? And I think we can do that informally by just keep the story going of who we are and interacting and using that. Whether we need to do that formally, that might be some value, especially as we get bigger, so we don't lose somebody off the, off the, the scope of what we're doing. Um, I don't know that we have any plans right now to do that in a formal sense. And certainly our internal conversation is sufficient at this stage for us to know sort of what the gifts are. But, you know, uh, Wendy, one of the things you can be doing is just keeping talking to people. And I notice in our fellowship much more conversation around gifts, Um, sometimes just a joking reference. But, you know, I think that's a really helpful thing because our our language is starting to shift and our self-perception one by one and as a group is starting to shift. And I've seen that in the last, whatever it is, eight or nine months. Yeah, thanks. Graham.
Yeah, no, that's good. Thanks, Ryan. That's a good example, I think, of in our little group how we're trying to keep that as part of our conversation. Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah. It's really an ability to open up to God for that, and, or at least open up publicly to God, see what God can do with you. Because mm. mm. in every gift, when we exercise it and use it, the, the end result is that God wants us to do the things he's equipped us to do so that we can open each other's eyes to him. Mm. So really, it's, it's the God of relationship saying, mm. through your abilities, I'm going to Yep. My capacity to forgive you, my yeah. capacity to care about your illness. Mm. And if you sit with this person long enough, and if I choose to heal you, you will learn something about me, God. Mm. Not mm. about Jeff Fox, mm. who couldn't heal on his own. Yeah. Try forever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's really, you know, we've got to get past the idea that it's us having a gift of, I've heard people say, I do healing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I think that's I think that's um, you know I think our language is really careful uh, how we talk about all the different gifts and which bit of it do we own? Well, you know, it's the gift God's given me for the body, and He's given it. You know, um, I, th I think those kinds of um, explanations are really important to uh, get clear, and particularly with these kind of more amazing things, because it's just very easy for us as people to do like those. Or what city was it that Paul and Barnabas went and they thought they were gods? <laughs> Paul and Barnabas, whoa, not us, not us, you know, let's tell you about the real God. It's just very easy when you see amazing things to kind of get that wrong. Uh, we tend to keep looking for the person, not for, the, for God himself. Okay, I'm going to finish it there. If there's other questions you want to ask me about, uh, please do afterwards. Uh, Warwick and Jessica are going to pray.